Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here at 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman, and it's great to be with you here on this wonderful afternoon as we are in the midst of celebrating Pesach, the festival of liberation, of freedom for our ancestors so many years ago, 3,333 years ago. But of course, the purpose of this festival is for us to tap into this energy today. So wherever you are at this moment, whether you are in your car on a Cholamite family trip or enjoying a wonderful Pesach retreat at home or away, wherever you are, please make the best and most meaningful experience out of this holiday. And of course, make it real, make it personal. When the Torah unveils the mitzvah of Pesach, it describes the holiday and particularly, you know, the prohibition of eating chametz on this festival, not just for the few days of Yom Tov, but it is seven days, in fact, in Israel, celebrated as a seven-day holiday. And specifically, the Torah tells us that the first and the seventh days are sacred days, which means that just like Shabbos, it's forbidden for us to engage in certain labor, certain prohibited activities during these days of the festival. Now, since we here in South Africa are outside of Israel, this gives us an extra additional day. And the reason for this is many years ago, it was in the times of the temple when we did not have a fixed calendar, but rather our calendar was one that was based on the lunar cycle of each month. And so it had to be determined, was it a 29-day month or a 30-day month? Now, for Jews who lived outside of Israel, if you were close enough to Israel, perhaps the news could get to you soon enough when the Sanhedrin designated Rosh Chodesh to be by sighting the new moon. But if you lived at a distance too far from Israel, then you added an additional day. Since the temple's destruction, this was continued and it was initiated as a distinction between those Jews who live in Israel and those of us who live in the diaspora that we now have an eight-day holiday with the first two days and the final two days as sacred holy days. Whereas today, which is an intermediate day of the holidays called Chol HaMoed, it's more of a mundane day of the Moed of the festival. So of course, in modern times, the first two days seems to be getting all the attention. That's when we celebrate our seders. That's when most people are having their matzah, making a big deal. But the truth of the matter is the final two sacred days are holy on their own as well. And as we know, it's got a very important message to us. In fact, it's an extension and a very important message, just like the first days. Because on the seventh day of Pesach, which begins tomorrow evening, if we were to gather for prayers, if you go to shul, which unfortunately I know that some of our distinguished members in the community, especially the elders who I am privileged to be most associated with, are trying to still be somewhat careful, and therefore some are not. But if you do go to shul, then we're going to read on Shabbos about Kriyat Yamsa, the splitting of the sea. If you don't go to shul, still make the effort to read this 
in your own home so you could at least make it real and make as if you were to go to shul, make it as relevant and real to yourself. Now, the reason we're reading this is because this is the anniversary of the great miracle of Kriyat Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea. See, the Jews left Egypt on the 15th of Nisan. That's when we celebrate Pesach today. And then Pharaoh realized, oh my gosh, what happened to my workforce? Where did they all go? And that's when he decided to pursue them and he wanted his slaves back. So that's where the story continued. We pursued the Jews further, trapped the Jews against the sea, and on the morning of the 21st of Nisan, the Jews, I guess per God's command, marched into the sea, into the Yamsuf, and of course we know the rest is history. The Jews were saved when the waters parted, and the Egyptian army was vanquished by the returning sea. This event is described in the Torah, the book of Exodus, and we are going to read this on Shabbos. We rejoice on the earlier days of Pesach, on the 15th of Nisan, over the Exodus, our emancipation from slavery in Egypt. But the fact is that Egypt remained a threat that in fact, lingered and continued to harass the Jews. We weren't fully freed from our slavery. The completion of the Exodus was only realized once the Egyptian army was destroyed at sea. And this is why we mention this miracle actually every single day in our prayers, in the morning and evening prayers following the Shema. We say this every single day. And so we dedicate this one day the seventh day of Pesach, to focus on this, which is the completion of the Exodus. The, 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 the reigning sentiment to this day is not the destruction of our enemy, as some might mistakenly think, but rather our focus is on our salvation. In fact, the Talmud describes God as reprimanding the angels for singing God's praises while the Egyptians were being lost at sea. The Gemara and Tractates and Hedron discusses this and talks about that the idea that, you know, celebrating, we don't celebrate the downfall of our enemy, rather we're celebrating the saving, the, the salvation of our people. And that's what the emphasis of this latter part of Pesach is all about. And this is one of the reasons why even though we continue to recite Hallel throughout Pesach, but only the first days when we're celebrating our emancipation from slavery, when God liberated our ancestors from the shackles of Egypt, that's when we say the complete Hallel. But the rest of Pesach, we don't say the full Hallel because the joy of our salvation is somewhat tempered by the losses of the other side. Of course, there are some other reasons mentioned in the Talmud as well, such as the idea that Yom Tov sacrifices brought in the Beis HaMikdash, in the temple on this day, were no different from the sacrifices brought on the preceding days. And there's no obligation to eat matzah on the later days of Pesach. The mitzvah of eating matzah is only on the first days of Pesach. The only biblical prohibition you could say is that we're not allowed to eat chametz. Well, if you can't eat chametz, you want your carbs, 
well, what other option do you have other than matzah? But the point is that it is us celebrating our miraculous salvation, not the downfall of our enemy. And this miracle, Kriyas Yamsuf, really has become a symbol for Jewish survival, for our perseverance. Too often throughout our long history, we've been trapped against various raging seas, you know, no seeming escape. What are we going to do? Just like our ancestors had the Egyptians pursuing from behind and the waters in front, and yet we marched forward then 3,333 years ago. We watched it, we marched into those powerful waters. Nachsham ben Aminadav took the first plunge and we came out dry and safe on the other side. And just think about how many times in our history the story has repeated itself over and over and over again where enemies tried to destroy us, tried to drown us out and eliminate and persecute the Jewish people. And yet over and over, God saves us. So even today, as we face various challenges that still exist, it's been a very tough year since coronavirus has surfaced just over a year ago. And the world has seen a rise in anti-Semitism. The various challenges facing Israel, another election, more struggles. Wherever you look as individuals, that's life, ups and downs, problems, struggles. And the thing is, we cannot surrender. We cannot give up. We have to do what our ancestors did. We have to march forward. The Talmud, in fact, describes that when the Jews received the order from God, Moshe says to the Jews, march into the sea, just go forward. And people were confused. (laughs) I'm not going first. Who wants to go first? Right? But they didn't say, I'm not going at all. They were happy to go. This was God's command. After all, God came to the party so many times before as well. (coughs) It's just that, that fear of who's going first. And so I look up to Nachshon, the man who jumped into the sea. And that's when the sea did split, but not till the water was up to his neck. Nachshon is that symbol for the bold person who's willing to take initiative, even in the face of a daunting challenge. And when we know something's right, we have to seize the moment, the opportunity. We have to act. Too often people rely on others to lead. Someone else should get things done. The story of the splitting of the sea that we're going to be celebrating tomorrow evening. In fact, it's a Hasidic custom to stay up all night, just as our ancestors did. This story reminds us to overcome that tendency of always leaving it for others. And now as well, as we face the struggles and challenges of the current world crisis, we have a number of people, especially medical practitioners, that are certainly the ones who've been leading us throughout the past year, acting with that attitude of <laughs> of leadership, of taking the bold moves. And it's certainly something to admire and a pleasure to behold to see those who stood in the forefront, guided and led our community throughout the uncertainty of the past year. And so, my friends, as we enter the eighth day, the conclusion of Pesach,
we have to appreciate the significance of what we celebrate now. And so in Shul, there's going to be some interesting readings of the Torah, the half Torah. For example, we read the half Torah from the prophecy of Isaiah on the eighth day, on Sunday, which is itself a beautiful prophetic vision of what the future of this world beholds. The wolf will lie with the lamb. That the land should be filled with the knowledge of God as water covers the seabed. That the scattered of the Jewish people should be gathered from the four corners of the earth, which is already coming to fruition in our time. We've been seeing this in the last 75 years or so since the establishment of the state of Israel, since our return to the Holy Land. So many of these prophecies are finally being fulfilled and in our lifetime. And so the theme of this period, the theme of this conclusion of the holiday, where we read this Haftarah, not only because of the downfall of Sancherev, which occurred on Pesach, but because we're also looking the story of Pesach was the beginning of the redemption of our ancestors. And now we hope and pray that Pesach will bring the conclusion of redemption of world peace, a universal oasis for all. And we hope that happens in our lifetime. And so when we read this, we have to think this is not about history, about being stuck in the past about commemorating events that happened so long ago. But rather, let's see how we can make it part of our life today. In fact, Judaism is very much forward-thinking, right? We have a, a certain vision of the world. And this vision isn't just for us. It's a vision, it's a universal vision for all. Think about no more hate, no more animosity. That's the wolf lying with the lamb. The, the, the knowledge of God, like covering the seabed, like the water that covers the seabed being so abundant. There's a reawakening of a genuine spirituality in the world. The return of our people to a secure and peaceful land of Israel, which was but a dream a century ago. And that, my friends, when we think about the sincere and lasting unity, which is described in the Haftarah by Yehuda and Ephraim, no longer quarreling with each other. And so this to us has to be a concept of redemption for the whole world. And so since there are still problems in this world, just as we celebrate the first days of Pesach, the miracles that happened long ago, well, the conclusion of Pesach, as we're going to discuss, should be forward thinking and looking towards a more perfected, brighter, greater world. And this is, shouldn't be something to think of as the distant future. Let's hope and pray and please God, it becomes reality in our lifetime now. In fact, there's a Talmudic tradition that the month of Nisan that we're in now is particularly conducive for the redemption. 
and the world has really seen so much drastic changes in the past year. So certainly, I think now the time is ripe. So here we are. We're going to be talking about Shvi Isha Pesach, the seventh day and the last eighth day of Pesach, which not only commemorates the events of the past, but we're going to talk about how to make it meaningful and how we can take a step deeper and see its relevance to our life today. That the splitting of the sea is really something, how it's really related to the future, not only to the past. So stay tuned and join us here as we continue in just a moment. We'll be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. And can you believe it already tomorrow evening? We are back into Yamtiv, which is amazing. But the feeling to realize that Yamtiv is almost over. Aren't we enjoying this Pesach so much? I know that I am certainly. And I have no doubt that you are too. So considering the time just flies way too quick, especially when we're having a good time. So make the very most of it. Carpe diem, suck the marrow out of every moment of this Yamtiv celebration. We are here at the Pesach retreat in Rustenburg, looking around, seeing all the kids enjoying their activities, seeing the adults learning, participating in lectures, in shiurim and workshops, and getting some physical exercise, rest and leisure as well. This is what Yamtiv is, and you can make a retreat wherever you might be. So just seize the moment and make the most of it. Tomorrow evening will be Yamtiv once again. And generally speaking, when we light candles on a Yamtiv, we actually recite two blessings when we light the Yamtiv candles. First is a general blessing about the mitzvah of kindling the Shabbos or Yamtiv, in this case, both. Can, you know, the, the flames that we're lighting for both Shabbos and Yom Tov. And the second, the bracha of Shehechianu, where we thank God for giving us life, for sustaining us, for allowing us to arrive at this very moment of the holiday, Shehechianu v'kiyemanu v'higiyanu l'izman hazeh. But this Yom Tov, the conclusion of Pesach, we do not recite the bracha of Shehechianu. Because, you see, the idea of thanking God on the Yom Tov, as we say, that we actually arrived at this new special moment in life. But the final days of Pesach, according to some interesting explanations, we haven't yet reached that ultimate goal of which the conclusion of Pesach is all about. Yes, it's true. Our ancestors experienced the splitting of the sea. And this was the completion of what had already begun on the first days when they were emancipated from their slavery in Egypt. They weren't truly completely free until this splitting of the sea when they knew that their Egyptian taskmasters would no longer have any mastership over them. Well, for that we already said Shechianu on the first two days of Yom Tov here in the diaspora. But we also talked before about the second theme of this holiday, which is 
futuristic. It's about the future redemption, the epoch, the era of Mashiach. And that unfortunately, that reality has not yet materialized. We have not yet, we, we have not yet arrived at the moment. And so, Shachianu is a bracha that is omitted tomorrow evening. Now besides for the Yom Tov candles, a lot of people have a custom also to kindle before Yom Tov a special candle for Yiskar, which is going to be recited on Sunday, which is the final concluding day of this holiday. So, make sure to also light that. And practically speaking, the lighting of the Yisker candle also helps with trying to get a 48-hour one so that you are able to kindle from an existing flame if you need to light any fires after Shabbos in your home for cooking purposes or any other reason why it might be lighting a candle uh, maybe you have to light a stovetop or for whatever other reason you might need to light over Yom Tov. It's ideal to use a pre-existing candle. So the Yisker candle is most ideal. And we know that in Mishle, in Proverbs, it says, Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. The soul of man is God's candle. And so, you know, we like to use all types of Metaphors, examples, parables that, you know, it's nice to illustrate and explain ideas that sometimes perhaps we have difficulty with otherwise. But metaphors in the Torah, I don't think are random. If the Mishle, if King Solomon in Proverbs is calling a soul that is God's candle because it actually shares certain properties with a candle. And we could think of the symbolism, the significance of our soul with a candle. A flame is unique, right? It's one of the only things in our world that appears to naturally climb upward, the opposite of the rules of gravity. So considering that, to us, it seems like the candle wants to go up and away to a different, more elevated place, place, space. And that it's only the wick that is holding it back and preventing it from escaping. So Mishli compares souls to a flame precisely because the soul has these very same qualities, the same properties in a spiritual sense. You see, our life, our Corporeal, physical life is not the soul's natural home in this world. Its natural habitat is where it was situated before the soul was infused in a body. The soul's natural desire is to bask in spirituality. For a spiritual life, a life where it can transcend the shackles of the body. In general, fire has five colors. And our neshama also is comprised of five levels, the nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaya, and yechida. For that, you have to join our journey of the soul course, which will please God begin after Pesach. But of course, the soul recognizes the great importance of its mission here in this earthly world.
And our soul wants to fulfill, wants to complete its mission here. Soul wishes to see the great fruits of its labor. Why does a soul come into the physical reality when it would prefer to be in the spiritual? But this is like, you know, a college student preparing for an exam. He knows it's important. He knows his future depends on the results. Takes the exam very, very seriously. I was also a college student previously. And we know we have to prepare for it. But what happens? You know, life. We get caught up in stuff. And then we procrastinate. We delay. And even though we know it's right, we sometimes get distracted. And so perhaps you could say that the natural desire of the soul It wants to be connected to its spiritual source, to godliness. And so when a person passes on, the natural desire of the soul is finally fulfilled. So when we want to recall our departed loved ones, what do we do? The best thing to serve as a memorial is a candle. Because that represents the current state of the deceased in its connection with its source like a flame. And when the soul on high sees that we, they're, they're, they're walking, living monuments in this world, are doing what we can to fulfill their legacy, to perpetuate their memory, to do the good deeds in this world that they are no longer able and capable of doing, then of course, they have tremendous, immense nachas, take great pleasure and seeing that we have not neglected or forgotten them, but rather we continue their legacy. We do what we can to ensure that they are not forgotten, not physically, not spiritually, Either. It's interesting that the word daluk ner, which means a kindled fire, has the same numerical value, the, the gematria of the word hashchina, the divine presence. Because at this point, the neshama, the soul, is bound with the infinite shechina of Hashem. So on the last day of Yom Tov, when we are going to recite Yiskar, the Yardzai candle is like a form of consolation, of comfort to us who are bereaved, who are mourning the loss of our loved ones. And it's my opportunity as well to remind you as Rabbi, Director of Chabad Seniors Programs, the significance, the importance of those who do have their loved ones, not to get too busy. Whether it's our parents or our children, spend that quality time with them. Seize the opportunity to really live life to its fullest, the most meaningful and beautiful way. Because you never know when it will be too late. And as one who unfortunately orphaned from both my parents, I encourage, I implore all my dear listeners to really make the most and be there with your parents, be there with your children, be there with your families, 
make the most of living life in a most meaningful and beautiful way because that's really so, so important to all of us. And so as we are getting so close to Yom Tov, Yom Tov is a time for family. It's a time, it's interesting in fact, that generally speaking, Pesach, which celebrates, which commemorates a universal, not universal, but a national celebration of the Jewish people, is celebrated with our family in our homes. That's where we celebrate the Seder. But Yisker, which is more of a personal commemoration of our own loved one, of my parents, that we do in the shul with the community. So on Yom Tov, when we generally would be spending time with our family, this is a time when we recall, when we remember our beloved departed, the ones who are no longer with us. And so four times a year, on the last day of Pesach, the second day of Shavuos, or in Israel, the only day of Shavuos, on Yom Kippur, as well as on Shemini Atzeres, those are the days when we specifically dedicate time to remember our loved ones. And certainly, I've seen that even Jews who perhaps were marginally religious, or even those completely non-observant, often flock to shuls on these days of the year to remember their loved ones, to, to renew, to strengthen the connection with their loved ones. And certainly to do mitzvahs, to bring merit to their souls, to elevate them in their celestial homes above. So of course, if you're able to make it to shul, it would be best to be at shul, say yiskar, in the congregational setting. Certainly, if you aren't able to make it to shul, then do it in your own home. Perhaps check what time yiskar is going to be recited at your shul so you could say it same time as the community. And it's certainly a moment of, of dignity, of emotional intensity that is not easily replicated in one's own home. And that's why it would be most ideal to do it in shul or at least at the same time as your shul is doing it if you aren't able to actually make it to shul and do it, say, Yisker with a minion. And it's understandable why many people, especially the elderly, are unable to make it to shul. Our sages tell us that there are certain special, spiritually elevated times when God is extra near. And so, if you can't be at shul, the times of prayer, when the community is praying, certainly is one of those times. And it uh, would be most ideal if you could at least do it at that particular moment when your shul's doing it. So just check what time your shul's doing it. At our shul in Santon Central, we begin davening 9.30 a.m. And Yisker will be at approximately 11.15. So if you want to do it same time as us, then do it 11.15 on Sunday. And you'll be doing it the same time as the most beautiful, wonderful community in Santon Central. So Yisker, we talked a little bit about the importance, of course, we offer a course called Journey of the Soul where we talk about the significance 
the the general nature of afterlife. Not that I know from experience, but certainly if you look in our Jewish literature, in the Talmud and Halacha, we'll find much of what our sages have to tell us about that time. So I can't share with you from experience, but what I do, can do is share with you a little bit of what our sages tell us that, you know, just as no two individuals experience the physical world in the same way in this world, we could say similarly in the afterlife, each soul has its personal place, its own unique indispensable experience. People often think of paradise, Gan Eden. It's not a monolithic world. It's one that has various myriad dimensions and levels. And depending on a soul's journey in this world, very much reflects the journey of the soul in the next world. The soul's entry point in the afterlife is shaped by its actions here in this world. The spiritual revelation that it affected through the many mitzvahs, through the various good deeds that it did, and the spiritual sensitivity that it developed while enclosed here in a physical body. But once the soul enters the afterlife and begins experiencing godliness, the very experience heightens the soul's spiritual sensitivity. It elevates it. And so the soul is in a state of progressive elevation to higher levels and deeper, deeper experiences. So Ganadin is not a passive state, but it's not, I guess, an active one either. So while the soul rises from level to level, these elevations are all based on its actions that it achieved, that it accomplished while physically alive in this world. And that's why Prikriyavas tells us this world is the antechamber. It's in this world that we prepare ourselves for the next world. The thing is that in the next world, the soul is not capable of generating any new elevations. The soul's journey in the next world perhaps can be compared maybe like an airplane on autopilot. The plane rises, it flies towards its destination. But more of it moves, more of the moves of that plane are independent. It's all pre-programmed, right? It's all taken care of. I once sat in a plane where one pilot was in the cockpit and the other pilot was in the cabin talking to me. But there's an intervention mechanism. That's why one pilot at least always stays in the cockpit. Because if anything goes or, you know, something goes wrong, that cock, that pilot's going to need to kick in and put it into the override command. And so, my friends, even our beloved departed, who are no longer here, the good deeds that we do in their memory, that brings tremendous merit. Call it credit to their account, so to speak. And gives the soul a new independent elevation. And perhaps one could say, why is this so? Because the afterlife, call it Ganadin, paradise, whatever you want, is infinitely greater than this world. This world, we have pain, we have hardship, we have difficulty, we have struggles, we have challenges. In the words of our sages though, a single moment of bliss in this world 
sorry, in the world to come is, is far greater than all of this world. But Ganeiden is not the most important realm, right? With all of the deficiencies that you might describe our world and the reality we live in with crime and corruption and all the struggles and challenges and problems, our physical world is of tremendous importance. It's only here that we're able to actually do mitzvahs. Only here in this world is it possible for us to do a good deed for another. And that, of course, affects both the physical and the spiritual realms and fulfills the entire purpose of creation. In the next world, as wonderful, as blissful as paradise might be, we no longer have that opportunity. We, 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 it's, yes, in the next world, we are going to reap the rewards of our mitzvahs, but we can't do mitzvahs anymore there. And so the sages tell us that a single moment of teshuva amasim tobin, of repentance and good deeds in this world is far greater than all of the world to come. The ability to perform mitzvahs is what the soul lacks in the afterlife in the next world. And so when we do a mitzvah on behalf of a deceased person, we are doing something that brings tremendous sechus, tremendous merit that elevates their soul. The soul gains additional merit if we do specific good deeds in its honor. And so, this is so important for us to do, to be the walking living monuments of our parents. And in fact, the good deeds done by their children and grandchildren, you don't even have to do it specifically in their merit. It's automatically credited to their account because you are their extension. The souls of the descendants are so deeply connected to that of the deceased. It's that unbroken chain that we continue, the chain of humanity. It continues from parents to children, from one generation to the next. And so the very fact of just conducting your life in a virtuous, ethical, moral, and spiritual way, you are continuing to be the walking, living monument of your loved ones. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievan. It's great. It's wonderful to be with you here in the remaining moments of our special Pesach holiday. And we were talking before about Yisker. Yisker is the opportunity for us to recall, to remember our loved ones. And certainly, as we said, when we live a virtuous and ethical, moral, and spiritually uplifted, meaningful life, then we are indeed honoring our parents. As Rabbi Goldwyn likes to say, every rabbi has only one sermon. And the truth is, this applies to each and every one of us. It's our conduct, our behavior. So just like we are obligated to take care of our parents' needs in this physical world, it is one of the big ten in fact, it's on the big five list. Well, we also have to take care of this soul's needs in the afterlife by living a virtuous and wonderful and a good life, one that brings them nachas, whether they're here or not to see it. Now, of course, 
you could bring merit to anyone's soul. In fact, we oftentimes see that shiurim classes, events are dedicated to the memory of someone, and that brings additional merit that's somewhat more uh, focused or meditated or, you know, it is an action that's being done specifically for someone. But when you're doing something good, it brings merit and credit to your parents who are no longer here, and certainly if they are here, regardless of your meditation. And this, my friends, is the function of Yisker. We gather and we pledge to give tzedakah, to give charity in honor of our departed parents, in honor of our loved ones, and bring merit to their souls, and thereby we are facilitating that elevation to higher and greater levels in the hereafter. So by giving charity, we are performing a positive physical deed in this world, something that they who are no longer here aren't able to do. If you think about it, the word yisker means to remember. It's the first word of the prayer that we'll say on Sunday, but it, it represents the overall theme of it. We beseech God to favorably remember the souls of our relatives, of friends, of all our beloved departed who've passed on, and in the merit of the tzedakah, of the mitzvahs that we will do in their honor, please God, it will bring them tremendous elevation, and the ultimate elevation is to come back to this world with the resurrection, with the resurrection of the dead, when all departed will be resuscitated and be reunited with us in this world. So make sure, do it as either at shul, and if you're not going to shul, then try to do it at the same time as your community is doing it. So why specifically on the last day of Pesach, or you might ask about the other holidays, the idea that comes to my mind, this is a question that just came through, so I'm just trying to give an answer. The question, I mean, the answer to me, the simple answer in my mind is just because these are times when we spend time with our family, so we remember them the most. But actually, just looking at some sources online, and it appears to me, you know, there is a verse in the Torah, I think it's in Devarim, that talks, that we're going to read on, yeah, of course, Kalabachar, we read this on, on the last day of Yom Tov. And the Torah reading, in fact, we read this on the last day of Pesach. We read it also on Shavuos and on Shemini Atzeres. So always when we're doing Yiskar, we read this Torah portion, Kol HaBachar, where it says every person should bring to the temple as much as they can afford according to the blessing that Hashem, your God, has given you. So as soon as we hear this verse, what is it telling us? The importance, the significance to give tzedakah. We think about those whom we love. I would also like to give tzedakah, but they're no longer here. They're no longer able to do so. So as we explained, it's our opportunity, our privilege, in fact, to be the ones to do this mitzvah on their behalf. And that's perhaps another reason to answer the question here of Clive. Thank you for sending that message through of why we are doing Yisgar, particularly on this day. I always love it when you ask your why. That's really great. So make sure to do Yisgar on Sunday, unless you're in Israel and you do it on Shabbos. And, and just seize the moment, take a moment to to meditate and and 
spiritually and emotionally connect to your loved one. Maybe picture them. Think of them. Think of, of the person you miss so much. And if you are at my shul or at the Pesach retreat, we have special booklets published that we printed new booklets for this year's Yiskar. But wherever you are, you can find it in the Siddur. And look, in the Chabad tradition, the Yisker is very short. In other versions of the Siddur, it's a little bit longer. One could follow with Kel Malei Rachamim. I know in some shuls, they even say Kaddish as well. We also say the prayer of Rachamim, which isn't only remembering our own loved ones, but we ask God, our merciful Father in Heaven, to remember the countless martyrs, individuals and entire communities who lovingly gave their lives to sanctify God's name. And so, seize the moment then to remember them as well. Think of those soldiers who protect all Jews worldwide. Yes, the IDF is not only protecting the state of Israel, but also globally the people of Israel. We only got a few minutes remaining, so let's focus a little bit on the theme that I mentioned at the beginning of today's show, which is the Mashiach theme. And that is... One of the important themes at the end of Pesach. In fact, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, established a custom. And on the last day of Pesach, this Sunday, late in the afternoon, whereas many others celebrate Ne'ilat HaChag, the conclusion of the festival, well, you could call it Ne'ilat HaChag, or you could also add the name Mashiach Sa'uda. A meal, especially with, with matzah and wine, which is focused on the theme of this Day, the future redemption. Now, it shouldn't just be, in fact, we were having a shear here earlier, and somebody asked this question, is it not like just a fuzzy, vague concept? Mashiach should come. That sounds very nice. Let's try to live with Mashiach, not just to anticipate redemption, but how can we precipitate it? How can we make it a reality in our life if it's something that seems so difficult to imagine, such a distant future. In fact, once in Russia, there was a Farbrengen, a Hasidic gathering, led by Reb Hillel Paracher. And the wine on the table was eventually finished. One of the guests volunteered to go down into the cellar. And he was going to retrieve a little bit more vodka, whiskey, some chametz, maybe it was Pesach, so it was just wine. And as he's going down, it was so dark down there. So he cried out, it's so dark, I can't find my way. Someone else sitting at the table yelled back, don't worry, wait a few seconds and your eyes will adjust, they'll get used to the darkness. And with that, Reb Hillel responded, indeed that's the problem. It sums up the problem of our gullus of life and exile. We get so used to the darkness we just become comfortable with it. We accept it. We tolerate it. And that's not the way it should be. We might be living a life like in that cellar. We think that's the way life should be. Yes, there might be life in the, in the cellar. Physical life, spiritual life. But do you really want to live a life of darkness? It's far from the ideal. The problem is that we're used to that current reality. It's the only reality we know. But think about it. Wouldn't we all prefer a world without crime and corruption? A world without war, without strife, without hunger, without poverty? Wouldn't that be the ideal? 
And so, thank God we don't have the persecution, the anti-Semitism that previously existed. But certainly, we know we would like a much better world, a world of redemption for the entire universe. And so, let's tap into the energy of the last day of Pesach. On the final day of Pesach, when the theme is the future redemption, it's so important, it's crucial that we make that a reality in our life. And that's why not only do we say a special Haftorah in the morning, recalling the prophecy of Isaiah, of the wolf shall lie with the lamb, but we also try at the end of the day to live in the time of redemption. So we have Mashiach Suda, a meal which we wash for and eat matzah and indeed recall the words of the prophecy and share stories of the festival. And perhaps we can seize the opportunity with your own family to think of ways to look ahead into the future. To look at the Haftarah reading of that morning. The wolf living with the lamb. Obviously, it sounds like a metaphor, but that's the idea of world peace. Yes, you could go to Pilensburg and Kruger, you might not see it yet, because the redemption has not yet arrived. We read the words of the prophecy that the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God today, even when present, is still limited. We fail to realize how everything is really an expression of God. Our world, what's the word for it? Olam. Olam also means concealment. This will all change when Mashiach comes. We read about the lost Jews. So many coming back to Judaism today. So many coming back to the land of Israel. 